You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh. It is round 16, 15, 17. Geez, they're all kind of melting into one. Uh, but one thing I do know for certain is the Crows won a game on the weekend, Neil C. Wang. We've been potting them for a bit of time. Welcome to you, but credit where it Hello. is due. They, uh, they uh, got the win on the weekend. They did. Uh, what a relief it must have been for Matthew Nixon and that whole team. And, and who knows, they might even pinch, pinch another one before the season's out. They, they could well. And look, I think I said it in the Heroes and Villains column on the weekend, but there's not much better sight in footy than seeing a coach who has been under the pump get a breakthrough win like that. And you can just sort of see the scenes uh, in, the, in the change rooms afterwards when he got drenched in Powerade. Jake Michaels, are you a fan of the Powerade showers uh, that we see in the change rooms these days? Oh, yeah, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> they were very close to going the whole season, though. Um, it would have been... It would have been very disappointing for the Crows, but it would have been kind of a fun stat to talk about. I'm sure Christian was kind of hoping they'd go the whole way without a win. <laughs> Is that true, Christian Jolly from Champion Data? Were you barracking for the uh, the donut? Uh, no, not really. No, I can't say I was. I don't think it, it doesn't make that too interesting having a team with zero wins. I think uh, no, I was actually pre- uh, happy to see them win. It's weird. I was making excuses for them. Um, each, each game they, they lost, I kept making excuses for them saying, it's an asterisk year. It's not a full season. If they'd had 22 games, they might have snagged one. So even if they had gone winless, you feel like they could have had an excuse uh, to get out of sort of being in the record books for those wrong reasons. Maybe I'm, you know, pumping them up a bit much. But uh, we've got lots to talk about this week, as always. Before we do get into the real stuff, though, guys, something that caught your attention from the weekend or the week not even the weekend, the weeknights of footy uh, that we might have otherwise missed. Jake, is there anything that you spotted with your eagle eye that we won't get to touch on? Well, it's something that's been in the game for a long time, but I really noticed it this week and have been noticing it a lot in the last couple of weeks is when a player, get, when a team gives away a free kick um, and a player has the ball that's on the opposite team and they're trying to work out who to give it to, Player, players are taking ridiculous amounts of time to give the ball back when they clearly know who the free kick's for. And they, they, I don't understand why the umpires let them get away with this. Sometimes it's like six, seven seconds that a player just holds the ball while the umpire is saying, straight back, straight back. And they're just like saying, who am I giving it to? Which one? It's like, you know who the free kick's for. Just give it straight back. That should be a 50-metre penalty, I reckon, if you don't give it back straight away. I've got to say, the acting... The acting of, of footy players has improved uh, remarkably over the last couple of years because another one that the players are having to sort of act out a bit, oh, who's it going to, who's it going to, is trying to make an attempt to get rid of a ball that is definitely not coming out of a tackle and the sort of fake flopping that they do on the ground yeah, and the hand pass ridiculous. to nothing. Yeah, a lot of acting going on in footy, Neil. Yeah, certainly. And, and just uh, further to Jake's point, I think, in, I think once, we, once Alistair Clarkson complains about it, then it will become rule of the week or rule, rule of the fortnight. <laughs> And uh, the uh, umpires might crack down and pay a few 50s. We'll talk about Clarko a bit later. We've got uh, some stuff to discuss about him and the Hawks. Christian, something from the weekend uh, we might not otherwise get to talk about? Um, probably just more, from, more than just this weekend. But I think we've mentioned him before on the podcast. But another great game by Travis Boak. Um, 34 touches against North Melbourne. at nine clearances. Um, very rarely do I barrack for someone to win the Brownlow. But I would love to say... I, I, I love Lockie Neal's year as well this year, but I think just Travis Boak and what we've seen him do later in his career in the last two or three years and sort of just the way he plays footy, it's very, it's, 
quite attacking, um, you know, always sort of moving the ball forward and things like that. I, yeah, enjoyed his game and sort of we'll be watching uh, very closely on Brownlow night, cheering him on, I think. Well, Jake, you said it uh, was it last week, week four, these podcasts are all kind of melting into one as the rounds do. Um, but you sort of said that you thought he was almost finished a couple of years ago, the way that he was playing and, and the way he's come back and you've been really impressed by that. Yeah, well, I didn't think he was finished. I just never thought he was that great of a player. I think yeah. he was a bit overrated early in his career and I never really expected him to to sort of hit the, the heights that he's that he's managed to hit now in the last... Well, really, like he was very good last year and he's gone even better this year. So I'm with Christian. I think he's um, he's definitely a chance of winning the Brownlow. I think Lockie Neal is very short. I mean, I don't think he's that far ahead, if, if ahead at all. But I think I think Boke is right there. And if he has, a, if he has another couple of good games to finish the year, he's a big chance to win it. Mm. Neil, uh, an eagle-eyed observation from you? Yeah, I, I saw the Brisbane Lions Premiership hopes go up in dust, I reckon, when Harris Andrews hurt his hammy. I don't think they can win the Premiership without him. They're a little bit thin at either end, and he's obviously their rock. Um, and I just, if he doesn't come back until, you know, prelim weekend or possibly a grand final without any match practice, I, I just don't think they can win it without him. He's just such a dominant. Will he be incredible. out that long? Is he going to be? Is he going to miss it's, that? It's one? a bad one. It's five or six weeks they're expecting. So they were saying that late in the final series that he might come back, and then he's had you know four or five weeks off. It's a waste of risk playing playing guys off, off long layoffs in a final, especially. So, yeah, if he doesn't come back, I just can't see him winning it, especially if he has to, you know, if Brisbane make it and they play, you know, Geelong with Tom Hawkins at full forward or Charlie Dixon from Port. If, if there's a dominant power forward at one end and they don't have Harris Andrews, I don't think they can win it. It's a big call. That's up there with Christian saying the Suns would win a game last season. Uh, in terms of calls. <laughs> we'll have to see how that progresses and how his recovery uh, comes along. My thing that we probably won't get to touch on is the Dogs win uh, over the Eagles. So the Eagles, again, sort of struggling in Queensland and it's probably not the same they issue. Like it, they they? No, they don't. Um, not, probably not the same issues they had earlier in the season where there was you know, a bit of, um, bit of angst towards their move out of Perth. But the thing that really caught my eye was the, uh, the last shot of goal that Marcus Bond and Pelly had and the goal that, that won the game. The bee's dick measurement, uh, where one GoPro on one side of the, the goalpost uh, showed that there was a, a thin line of sort of darkness between the footy and the post, the yellow footy and the white post. And then the other angle showed that there maybe not wasn't a gap between the footy and the post uh, and how they just decided to go with the umpire's call, which was a goal. Um, and I just thought it was, was interesting how, how many games or how many scores this season have been um, decided by the initial call that the umpire has made and just how this technology really isn't adding anything uh, to, to the mix at this point. Because if the umpires are backing themselves, they go to upstairs for the review and it just gets reverted to the umpire's call. Uh, I just wonder how much money the AFL is, is putting into this sort of technology when um, the umpires seem to be doing, for the most part, a pretty good job. Well, all the technology is doing is just getting rid of the howler. I mean, it's not... Which gonna, is what it's there for, isn't it? Yeah. And that's good. I mean, and because we've seen it overturn some bad decisions. We're always going to have bad decisions, but it's not going to change that. And I mean, I'm happy for that to be umpire's call. When it's so close like that and you really can't tell, um, I'm happy for that to be umpire's call. I mean, the umpires have been making the decisions for over 100 years. Like, why can't we back them? I think the problem is the umpires might feel like they've got that security of the score review, so they are less inclined to call a ball that's touched. That's, I think, the one problem. It's kind of like 
uh, you know, in, in in tennis or whatever, where an alliance person might might not want to call it out because mm. they can they can challenge the call. So I would still like the umpire to back themselves uh, and call it touch if they believe it is touch. I'm not, I'm not having a go at the, the result. I think the result was the right one. I think more so I'm just sort of interested in the fact that someone's placed these two GoPros on either side of the, the goalposts or whatever. Well, they obviously haven't put them straight. They're not putting them in line. They're not putting <laughs> no. them even. So like you're getting two different results. Well, maybe and, one... Maybe one bit of padding was slightly fatter than the other. They got it ordered at different shops. Who knows? Um, but I thought that was a, a bit bizarre, but the, uh, the, the quote-unquote bee's dick won out, as Bontempelli said. Um, we got plenty to get into. What as an I important mentioned. decision, too. I mean, that could be the difference between Western Bulldogs playing finals or not. Crucial, crucial. Um, and yes, well, you know, a win like that was one we probably didn't give them at the start of uh, this run home. So they, maybe they can sneak into a spot with uh, St Kilda and Melbourne's sort of faltering at the, uh, at the hurdles. Um, Neil, you're speaking of the D's. Uh, we're going to do a bit of a dive into them because... Can we not? Uh, no, we're going to have to, I think, because last night they lost to Frio by 14 points. And would you say that's ended their, uh, their flag, their flag, their finals aspirations <laughs> for 2020? I don't think a flag was ever on the cards. <laughs> uh, as much as us Melbourne fans do dream about one day experiencing that. But uh, I think it does rule us out for finals. Um, and the fact that it's, you know, Melbourne had put itself into a pretty strong position, they, yeah. you know, they were in, in, within, in the top eight, um, had, having strung some really good games together, um, and then to drop games against Sydney and, and Frio, who are, you know, towards the bottom of the ladder, they're both good developing young teams, but it's really emblematic of, of the Melbourne um, way, if you like, the Melbourne brand, which um, Simon Goodwin goes on about. It's mm. the brand of dropping games when they, they should be winning and the games of, and the brand of, of getting, you know, getting their pants pulled down on, on, on stages where they should be winning pretty comfortably. So He's, um, he's been yeah. at the helm for six seasons now, Goodwin? I think this is his fifth, I fifth think. Season. Yeah, so um, he, he's, he's had a, a long time to sort of mould not only the list to the way he wants it, but the game plan to the way he wants it. Um, and he, I mean, what he said after the game on, on Monday night, last night, was that the game plan isn't quite being executed the way he wants. I mean, how, how can this be so long into his tenure? I think he's a little bit confused at the moment. I was really concerned when the first question in last night's press conference was you know, pretty generic, you know, what went wrong for you guys tonight, Simon? And his first reply was, yeah, well, it was pretty tough conditions out there tonight. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's, that's a ridiculous, you know, he went on to qualify, you know, both teams, you know, played and played, it was a torrential downpour, X, Y, Z, but you don't want your senior coach to be talking about, you know, external variables, you know, when you've just lost another game that you should have won. So I think he looks confused. I think, you know, his selections are confused. He made seven changes, three fourths through injury, but against the Swans, the game before, he went with a really tall lineup when the Swans don't have that many, you know, threatening key forwards. And then against Frio with, you know, three or four really good strong marking options, he went, he went really small ball. So he looks really confused at the moment. Um, and the players look confused as much as, as, much as him. So, Is yeah, that confusion a of, an indication that he might be out of his depth? I fear that, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, the, the, there wouldn't be a Melbourne fan out there that's not questioning every part of this puzzle. So... I've oscillated between putting it squarely at Goodman's feet this year, and and then you wonder whether the list is actually that that good. You know, I'd be interested in, in your guys' views as as non Melbourne fans whether you think 
is should this group be achieving more? You know, we're, we're going to assume that they finished probably ninth to, to 11th this year. Is that, and they've had a really healthy list all year. I mean, where is, where is the list at? Do you, do you think that the list should be achieving more? Uh, I, look, I can jump in. I think when they made the prelim uh, in, in 2018, I don't think the list is worse than what it was then. Uh, there have been a couple of minor changes. You know, Nathan Jones has gotten a bit older and maybe hasn't been at his best this season. Um, they've also brought in some names since then as well that, that should be really complementing um, the way that they needed to play and the things that they were lacking in 2018. So uh, it's sort of hard to say where, where exactly it has gone wrong, but to me it just seems like 2018 was the exception to the rule, making a prelim that, 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 that year. And I don't know if the stats back it up, Christian, but like, was there something from that year compared to every other year with the Ds that was out of the box that, that, that really sort of caught other teams by surprise perhaps? I wouldn't say out of the box, but again, just just looking at it, it was it was really execution. So we know first thing you think of Melbourne game style, what they want to do is they want to win contested footy. Um, so I mean, their numbers in two thousand eighteen weren't you know world record pace or anything. Um, they were yeah, they were second uh, for contested possession differential. Oh, sorry, first was contested best contested possession differential across the entire season at, you know, plus 16, which is probably third or fourth best that we've ever seen. So it was high up there, but that that's their brand. That's what they want to do. Um, they won the inside fifties by plus 12 per game. So they, they were playing the game on their terms. Um, I mean, they're still in the positive for both of these stats this year, but the numbers just aren't as high. And what we're sort of seeing is, is that outside game of Melbourne. Um, I know we've spoke about it earlier, Neil. Um, it's getting the ball on the outside against Melbourne and sort of sort of breaking that apart. They've only got what looks like one way to play. Um, and they sort of do struggle to sort of beat, beat the teams on the outside. So, again, <clears throat> looking at 2018, it was almost the perfect season for them. Everything worked. Their whole setup worked. I don't think their setup has changed too much in terms of what they're trying to do. Um, you know, this year they still rank second for intercept possessions in the forward half, which is always a big part of your game plan is, your, you know, being able to move the ball forward and keep it there is a big part. And they're... They're still successful at that, but they're just not scoring points. So even though they're second for total intercepts, they're ninth for points from those. So um, it's a little bit of, yeah, the game style is still there. It's the execution that's dropped away. But again, looking at their list, I think it is. It's the forward line that stands out to me. Um, And even going back to 2018 season and looking at their leading goal kickers, um, so top top of their goal kicking that year was Jesse Hogan and Tom McDonald. Hogan, obviously, no longer at the club. Tom McDonald, I think, has played about six or seven games this year and some of them have been under duress. um, And then third, fourth and fifth was Melksham, Neil Bullen and Mitch Hannon, who, you know, they're not not genuine forwards. I don't think any... I think, you know, Mitch Hannon was probably a little bit of of a goal kicker in um, the VFL, but Melksham was a midfielder for Essendon and Neil Bullen is a running beast, so he's probably good up on the wing and... Um, I know he covers a lot more distance than most other players. So again, that that 2018 makeup it just it just worked perfectly for them. Um, but they, it wasn't like they had. I mean, they had Jeffrey Garland in there as well, who's you know a very handy small forward. But to me now, losing Hogan, not being able to get McDonald in there. I know Sam Wiedemann stepped up. He still doesn't have the consistency. I don't think to do it week in week out. We haven't seen that yet. But to me, defence tick. They brought in Stephen May. Levers being good. Uh, midfield, they've got the exact same personnel they had in 2018. I'll, again, I wouldn't be changing that too much. Um, Oliver, Viney, Brayshaw, uh, you know, Max Gordon, one of the best ruckmen in the competition. But again, it, it's all about scoring for Melbourne. And, and again, when you go back to 2018, you, 
you don't want to sort of use the word, but was it a fluke with, with the, the forward line that they had and the names that they had? Um, it was just a year out of the box and those guys haven't been, re- been able to recreate it since really. Yeah. And I mean, all, all that makes sense. One, one thing I would say is I think Melbourne might've overachieved by reaching a prelim that year, but every year under Ruse and Goodwin, they had added a couple of wins each year. So it was a slow build. And then they probably jumped a couple of rungs more, more quickly than we would have assumed. Yeah, so again, a, a good indicator for me, and I spoke about it before, under, underrated indicator is percentage. So 2016, their percentage was 97.6. So they almost broke even for that year. 2017, 105. So, uh, you know, they finished ninth that year. They still missed finals. But again, a percentage of 105 suggests that you've won the season. You've scored more points in your position. 2018, again, jumped out 131. Um, you know, it was probably, I think, the best percentage in the comp. 2019, 78.65. And then this year, they're back to 108. So, again, 2019 is the one out of the box for me. There's been, um, you know, signs that in Goodwin's time there that he's been able to build it and, you know, build a team into what he wants. And going back to, you know, mid-2000s and things like that, their percentage was down at 60, 70. So, he was coming off a low base. But, again, looking at the percentage this year, 108.2, to me, again just looking at that number, they've, they've sort of won the season, but again, it's, it's their losses that have really hurt them. Who they've lost to and how they've lost um, is probably the reason they're going to miss finals. But again, just, it's one of those funny ones. If they hadn't have missed a prelim, uh, sorry, if they hadn't have made a prelim and you just took out 2018 and you looked at Melbourne across the last 20 years, you'd say they're on the up from where they've been 15, 10, 15 years ago before, even before Paul Roos took over. Um, you know, they've started to build, I think, Goodwin, in Goodwin's time, as we just said there, three out of his five seasons have had, you know, a positive in percentage. So it's not disastrous, but it is. It's it's that whole expectation after making a prelim. They just haven't come on. So, yeah, whether they've, you just sort of got to, again, hard to tell Melbourne fans to do this, temporary expectations. There is still signs there that he can produce a winning season. Um, but, yeah, that he can't sort of rely on 2018 and think you're going to always have a year like that where everything just works for you. So again, I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom for Melbourne. Um, but again, they, they, they definitely overachieved in 2018, which gets everyone's hype and hopes up. Jake, any thoughts on the D's before we move on? Uh, look, I think we always spoke about uh, the Cats having a pretty weak sort of bottom five, six players. I, I tend to think Melbourne's a little bit similar Um in terms of, you know, obviously they've got a, a nice group of their top enders, um, which you guys have spoken about. But I think it does fall away quite a bit. Um, and I even think it was pretty similar back in 2018. Um, and I don't know if you guys might remember, but in our first po- our first ever podcast, I actually said when we were looking ahead to 2019 that I thought Melbourne had, couldn't really play much better. I didn't think they'd go backwards as they had. Um but I really felt like they, they played as well as they could for the personnel they had um, in that team at the time. And as you've said, Matt, they've, they've brought in some, some players and they should probably be better. Obviously, they lost Hogan. But, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I just think that the, the bottom enders in that team might be bringing them down a bit. And, again, it's just finding having trouble kicking goals. I mean, mm. Wiedemann, I'm, I'm confident Wiedemann's going to be a solid player, but... Yeah, it's, it's not really much around him at the moment. Yeah, you, you look at some of them, like they, the outside ball use, not on, on the wing, they brought in Langdon and, and Tomlinson to sort of play those sorts of roles. Neil, have they worked in, in, in that sort of space? Well, 
Langdon Langdon has. He's he's been he would probably be probably third behind Petraka and Stephen May in our best and fairest audition. He's been really solid. He's not a great kick, but he works super hard and creates opportunities. Tomlinson is a strange one. He played every single game, I think, for the Giants last year on a wing. Mm. And he looked a handy role player, an unusual winger. But now he's been he's been pushed back into to defence. And he's, he's been playing reasonably well back there. But that's not what Melbourne recruited him for. And at times, you know, Simon Goodwin has been playing Lee Tomlinson, Joel Smith, Oscar McDonald, all back in the defensive mix. So just so many things that confuse you week to week as a Melbourne fan. Um, and then talking about last night's game, for example, uncontested possessions, Frio 204, Melbourne 98. So mm-hmm. doubled uncontested possessions on a wet and sloppy night where it might be more difficult to, to string those uncontested possessions together. So I... The fact that Goodman's got two more years to go on his contract and, you know, the whole, the whole industry is sort of hemorrhaging financially means that I don't think he's under immediate pressure to be sacked this, this season. But, geez, if he was had a contract or if he only had one more year, I think there would be a lot, of, a lot of questions being asked of why can't he get this, this pretty talented group of individuals to play better collectively. Mm. Um, and especially against teams like, Sydney and, and Fremantle in the last two games who have been so much better organised and structurally sound. And it's so obvious from the first couple of minutes that, that they're a better team as a collective as opposed to Melbourne's, you know, you might say there's the, they've got more stars and more better players on the field, but they're just not working. It, whatever it is happening, it's just not working as a, as a collective. Mm. Well, so I think even though, even though they're probably out of the finals race, there's still a lot to play for for coach and players, I think. Uh, going mm-hmm. forward so keep an eye on the D's uh, Neil we'll move on um, we, we've tasked Christian with, uh, with looking into some stats for us but this is on the back of a tweet you saw from a, a passionate footy journalist who, who supports the Bombers um, about teams giving up goals in red times can you, can you sort of <laughs> enlighten us as to what you might have seen on Twitter and, and we, can, we can dive into that from there yeah it was during the I think it was the first quarter against Geelong when Essendon were getting smashed I think um, and it was, the tweet was, a paraphrasing Julian De Stoop here, and it was something like, Essendon has to be the number one team of giving up goals in the last quarters, in the last minutes of quarters. Um, and it just caught my eye. And yeah, we've tasked Christian into looking at those sort of red time goals and which, which teams are worse and whether that tweet's actually just a frustrated fan or whether it's got any sort of um, uh, factual basis. Christian, can you, can you give uh, Jules some insights? Uh, I can say that he was spot on. Uh, so are, the last actually, minute of uh, quarters. Uh, well, we've gone red time. So, again, after the 16-minute mark of quarter, right. so in, in your time on period of quarters this year. So, um, you know, before red time, they've conceded, I think, the sixth or seventh most points. Um, so about almost 10 points per game before the 16-minute mark of quarters, yeah, which is the sixth most. Uh, but, yeah, looking at red time, it's actually up to... Seven and a half points per game after the sixteen and a half, uh, sixteen minute mark, which is the most. Um, and again, looking at below them, Hawthorns the next highest, and Adelaide uh, third. So you know, two teams are probably conceding a lot of scores anyway. But the other name that jumps out for me is GWS, um, who are also at you know conceding six point eight points per game in time on, uh, which is the fourth most. But before that, um, you know, for the rest of the quarter, they're down at second best at eight point one. So. 
GWS are probably, again, Essendon number one for scores considered for red time, but GWS are probably the team I'm looking at that have a little bit of an issue in terms of the defence is so good for the first 15, 16 minutes. You can't score against them, but yeah, they've leaked a lot of late scores and we sort of know going into uh, tonight's game, um, your GWS are still battling for a final eight spot and that, mm. that could be one of the things that um, not defines their season, but it's sort of one of the things that, you know, talks about their season. They just haven't been able to finish off quarters and, you know, defend as well as they have earlier in quarters. How much of a gap is there between uh, between them? Because if, if the Giants are the fourth worst in that category, but they're only conceding six... Was it per per game it was six points? Yes. Because yeah, that doesn't so. seem like much. That's a that's a goal in, in the whole... Yeah, I mean, and yeah, you think about it, it's only about three or four minutes of play, you know, about 12 minutes of play or so um, across the game. So, you know, and, and scoring's quite low this year. So, sorry, this is per quarter, sorry. I should oh, yeah, jump in and say it's per quarter. So usually... Oh, okay. so goal per know, quarter. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. per quarter, per, yeah, um, time on period. Okay. So, um, okay. again, it, it's not a big variance between, you know, Adelaide is... Um, sorry, Essendon being at the worst is about, uh, as you said, 7.44, down to about... The good teams are Richmond at 4.3, so, you know, 3.5 goal fewer. Um in, in red time, but as I said, GWS's ranking just going from the second best defensive, you know, for the first 15, 16 minutes of quarters to the fourth worst defensively laid in. Um, again, yeah, Essendon fans may be noticing it, but it's probably something GWS uh, Giants fans might be getting a bit nervous about as well. It's funny you say that because I think every fan at one point has, of any team, has thought at some point, geez, we are absolutely rubbish at defending red time scores. And, and I know that as a Carlton fan, I reckon I say it every second week, they might concede one red time goal or a goal with 30 seconds to go once a game or once every two games. And I'll still think, geez, it happens every week. So it yeah. is, uh, it is interesting to see that poor old Jules isn't going mad uh, <laughs> in knowing this. <laughs> um, Christian, are there any individual players that tend to step up or, or go missing in red time? I know that we talked about teams and scoring, but any, anything from an individual standpoint where, where players are sort of, um, I don't know, running out quarters fitter than others? Uh, yeah, again, I just looked out of this out of interest. So just on the back of uh, Neil and Jules's question, I just thought, well, yeah, looking at teams and what teams do late in quarters. So I just ran it for, I just looked at the sort of top 154 winners across the competition and percentage of disposals won in red time. And quite surprised that there's sort of two or three names that are quite high. So Hamish Hartlett is 45% of his disposals are actually come in red time. And as I, as I just stated, red time is only, you know, a quarter of the length of the total quarter. So he's winning, um, you know, almost seven disposals per, uh, per game, that is, um, have come from red time. Um, so getting the ball late. Dev Smith for Essendon's another one. So that's going the other way, even though Essendon are conceding a lot of scores. Uh, Dev Smith, you know, probably in their top five or ten for disposals per game. Uh, ten disposals per game before red time and eight disposals after red time. So it's almost a 50-50 split. So these guys are running quarters out quite well. Probably, you know, no surprise, go straight down to the bottom of the list. Um, Brody Grundy. Um, so, again, big Ruckman. Um, you know, 28% of his disposals are coming in red time. So, he's of the top 150 ball winners. That's the lowest. But, again, he's probably doing a lot of heavy work. This isn't taking into account time on ground or anything. So, he might be resting a lot of the final two or three minutes of quarters. Um, we know how well Collingwood do start games and quarters. So, uh, yeah, sort of no surprise when I sort of ran it to see a Ruckman down the bottom. Um, but another interesting one, again, just on the back of Jules' tweet, is Jordan Ridley, who 
who we know is one of the uh, best interceptors. Seems like his intercepting goes missing in red time. So 13 disposals per game uh, for the first 16 minutes of quarters, down to five disposals per game in red time. And basically about 30 or 40% of his disposals come from opposition possessions. Nice. Uh, so again, probably a bit of, um, uh, yeah, a bit of a... Um, what do you call it, sort of, yeah, indicative of the whole team in itself that sort of they're one of their best chopping off key, def- you know, uh, intercept defenders is sort of not doing as well late in quarters. So Poor old Jordan Ridley might just be watching the ball sail over his head through the big sticks late in quarters, you never know. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on. We've got uh, a few little topics we want to touch on before we get into justified hype or hyperbole. Uh, Jake, I might start with you. Are there any players this season who have jumped out at you as maybe having bitten off a bit more than they can chew and they've gone on one season too long? Uh, well, probably the one is uh, Sean Burgoyne, which we've spoken about before um, this, this year. Uh, I think um, I think it's pretty clear he's not at the level that he used to be at. Um, the Hawks aren't. They've lost a lot of players. The team's not as good and he's just not the same player. It's as simple as that. Um, you only need to look at his numbers to see that it's pretty much everything is just halved from, from where it once was. He's making a lot of mistakes. He doesn't have any pace. Um, and he's not a player they can turn to like they used to be able to throw him into the midfield or throw him forward and he could kind of create something. So... Look, I'm not saying he should retire, but I think it's pretty clear that he's, you know, heading towards it. I would be surprised if he's if he's playing on. Mm, Neil, have you got a name for us uh, of a player who might have gone one season a little bit too yeah, long? Yeah, not that there's anything wrong I'll with give, that, but... No, and it's always a delicate balancing act when, you you know, some veterans can keep playing really well. Like we talked about Travis Boak and, you know, even looking at Carlton with, you know, three or four really older fellows that are all playing pretty good footy, so... And then culturally, where do they fit if they're good, you know, good on the track and good around the group? But, um, yeah, we can only judge on what we see on the field. And I think the, the one that stands out to me is um, Ben Reid, and you could almost throw in his brother Sam. I think just as key position players, they don't really impact games at all. Um, they look slow. They look um, – and the injury history is so hit and miss that you wonder whether it might have been a, a better opportunity to put – put some young, younger players in their shoes and, and said, thanks for your service. Um, I think Sam Reid, the Swans, is probably in a better position because they've been hit by injuries to a lot of their key position players and rucks, so they probably need him just to, to be a senior body out there. But Ben Reid, yeah, I'm concerned that he, you know, he might be falling off a cliff pretty, pretty quickly. don't think there's ever been a, a pair of brothers that have had so many injuries as those two. Yeah, Between. you feel for them. Because at their best, remember in their early days, you thought, wow, these guys are... There's going to be two two really unbelievable key position players for 10, 12 years. For sure. Uh, let's, I, let's, let's hope it doesn't happen to the King boys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to nominate a bloke from your, your team, Neil. Uh, poor old Nate Jones. And he's had a really, really good career with the Ds. And I can only assume that the allure of playing his 300th game this season, had he been fit for the entire season, might have been a reason for him to go on. But... His output this year has been, um, look, he's, he's had some injuries uh, as well, uh, but his output and some of his decision-making and his skills have just been a fair bit uh, down on what he's been able to produce in previous seasons. I mean, uh, averaging only 13 touches a game, he's only kicked one or two goals this year, uh, tackle numbers are down, 
inside 50 numbers are down by half. Clearances, he's, he's barely getting his head over the footy. Uh, and it just seems to me like that allure of chasing a, a 300th game uh, for the Ds might have, might have got to him. And the fact that he's been injured means that he might not get a chance this season. We won't get a chance this season to play his 300th. And the allure might be there again. Go on. <laughs> no, I, I think that's really unfair. And I think that's incredibly unfair to say the allure of 300th is what's made him commit. I think, I think he just wanted to play on, you know, I, I think it's pretty unfair to say a pretty selfless player like that just wants to play to reach milestones. Well, it's not, not just the uh, only reason, but I, I assume it would have been in the back of his head saying, geez, I can notch up game 300 uh, and I still feel like I'm pretty good. But he might have overlooked some, some shortcomings or, or might, might not have. I mean, sometimes you can't predict injuries, obviously, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's no, just I can't agree with you on that point. But, and and the, I think the other thing in, in Jones's favour, the reason why he's you know really gone downhill, and I don't just don't disagree with the fact that he's really struggled this year, and you know it probably the game has probably passed him. But he spent his whole career, you know, twelve, thirteen years playing in the first rotation under a, a ruckman's feet, and Melbourne has built a list where there's four or five younger, better players that are playing that role. And Jones, like a few of his teammates, have been asked to play wing and flank in positions that they're really uncomfortable in. And I think that's probably hastened the fact that he you know, hasn't been able to adapt and he's probably gone on a year too long. So I don't disagree with that. But it's harsh to say that, that one of the main drivers is to try and reach a milestone. I don't think he's that sort of player. No, fair enough. Uh, he, no, he's not. He's always been a selfless player, but... Um... Yeah, might not have been a, a main reason, but I'm sure it would have been hanging over the back of his head, maybe, perhaps. Uh, Christian, uh, anything from the stats that show that a player uh, might have bitten off a little bit more they could chew in, in 2020? Uh, I, think, I think you're right. Probably Nathan Jones, um, probably the one. I mean, yeah, we've got him now rated, you know, using AFL player ratings as poor for his position, which, again, for such a great player, he's, sort of, he's moved into a mid-forward position now, which, again, probably doesn't suit. Um, you know, he needs to be in and under, as Neil said. So... Um, again, I don't know about season too long, but just a, someone we've brought up before as well is Jared Harbrow. Um, had, had a very, very good career, 32. Again, I, I see this as a positive. He's, he's been you know, below average for a general defender this year, just ha- hasn't had the same impact. Still played 11 games. So, you know, I think he had a slight injury early in the season, but still fit. But again, just um, for what he was for... Gold Coast for their first three or four years. He was so important for ball movement, metres gain. Um, probably, yeah, other, other players like Lacocious, uh, Noah Anderson gets back and sort of can move the ball as well, probably taken away, um, you know, the importance of Harbrow. Um, so, again, but I think he's had a very, very good career. But, yeah, very down season this year, which might be more to do with um, players around him coming up rather than him actually mm. dropping away in his own form. So, Mike Jones at the D's has been an absolute stalwart during some pretty down times for his club as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's it, it, it'd be almost that fine balance of, well, well, I'm not going as well as, you know, I'm not as important going as well, but geez, it's good to be around a club that's actually going somewhere and on the up. So I'm, I'm sure he's still enjoying his season. For sure. For sure. All right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Jake, the Tigers have been in the headlines this season for, not always the right reasons. They've had a, a pretty pretty damning year. They've had the Marbury Chole incidents with uh, the inappropriate touching in, in, in the team change rooms. They've had most recently Sydney Stack and Callum Coleman Jones getting into it at a kebab joint uh, after having seemingly a bit of a, a night on the booze. The Brooke Cochin incident and uh, apparent cover up by the club and, and, and Trent and Brooke. Um, they've ditched the VFL women's team in the midst of having record memberships. Um, this is all sort of this year and, and in the last few months itself. Have the Tigers got a culture issue emerging that we should be concerned about? 
Well, I know this isn't justified hype or hyperbole, but if it was, this is massive, massive hyperbole. I, I, there are a few isolated incidents. Players have done, there's several players that have done some silly things. Um, but to say Richmond's got a culture issue is ridiculous. I mean, they're the best team of the last three years. They've won two of the last three premierships. They're the favourite to win it again this year. Uh, I don't see how their culture is any different now to what it was at the start of the year to what it was two years ago. You know, I think I we see we, that a little bit differently. Everyone's always everyone always carried on about how great their culture is, and culture is such a buzzword that people love to talk about when they don't really know exactly what it means. But <laughs> I, you know, what they've been able to do to turn that club around has been unbelievable and now all of a sudden a couple of things go wrong and it's oh they've got a culture issue i don't i don't subscribe to that at all i, I agree with everything you've said jake in terms of they've had they've set themselves up beautifully on and off the field in the last three years but instead of seeing these off-field issues as you know just just small things little rope you know bumps in the road I, I i see a few little cracks appearing because they seem to be the only club that's having multiple you know every few weeks there's something not going wrong. They seem to be the only club that have, you know, been uh, breaching COVID protocols, you know, more than just once. So uh, the fact that they're still winning, I think actually really helps them sort of get past all mm. these issues. If this was, you know, if this was an Adelaide or North Melbourne or, or Hawthorne or someone down the bottom, everyone would be saying, geez, that club's, you know, they're, they're absolutely stuffed. They can't win. Their culture's completely, you know, crap and, and whatnot. I think that that there's some issues, you know, popping their heads up at Richmond. And, you know, as you say, culture is a buzzword. If, if they win the flag, everyone will forget it um, because footy is such a win-loss industry. But I, it, I'd be slightly worried if I was a Richmond fan that all is not well with this, this you know, this so-called culture within the club. It's, there's more than just a few isolated incidents in my view. Yeah, I think it's ticked over into one-off and, and it's now become it's become a steady stream, Jake. And I think you, you raise a good point being like they built a really, really strong culture in 2017 and 2018 and, um, and Cochin was at the forefront of that. They were cleaning change rooms, doing the all-black sort of stuff and, and, and what have you. But you, you and how is it any different now? You, this, this, that's what you can't, I'm you can't say. say that the shine hasn't been taken off by uh, the breaches that, that Cochin and his wife had, uh, the Chol stuff. I mean, that's that's... That's worrying. The the Sydney stacking yeah, Callum Palmer Jones stuff, ditching VFL women's despite saying that they would you know prop them up, and and as soon as it gets a little bit bad for for VFLW, they're ditching it in the midst of record membership. And um, also, persona has been really us against them and combative in some of his comments through the year as well. So yeah, it just so, seems uh, maybe yeah. the pressure of being a top team is is getting to them, but. It, yeah, the, the cracks, I think, Neil, it's a really good way to put it. The cracks are appearing. Um, and they and might just be cracks, you know. Like they yeah, might the damn wall can still win. hold. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But then, like... You know, I think you can look at any team and, and sort of highlight, you know, four or five things that maybe haven't gone right in the last 12 months. Um, the pie is maybe another one. But but I I think, you know, the, the, the biggest issue was obviously the most recent one with... Um, the two guys at the, you know, Stack and Coleman Jones. I mean, silly, stupid. They cop, they're going to cop their penalty. Stupid. But I don't see how that's a problem with Richmond. It wasn't like the whole club was out. Like, it was two of their players that weren't even in the team at the time. Um, I, I'm, there's no way you can defend it because it's, it's dumb as anything. But I don't see how that can then kill culture for, for, 
for what they've built up. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit with Jake, and it, it does it goes back to the point of exactly what we're saying. They've won two of the past three premierships, so again, it, it just gets highlighted more with them going back to the maybe or Chol stuff. Thought it was you know disgraceful, but then we saw other examples of other teams doing it. Um, COVID breaches, you know, we've had Elijah Taylor. Pretty much really every team has had some sort of yeah. coronavirus breach. <laughs> Hollywood's coach had one. Um, so again, I think it I think it does. It's I'm. Probably, yeah, a little bit in Jake's camp here. It's a bit of hyperbole because they are going so well. <laughs> We're not onto this subject yeah. on this uh, topic. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but, but I think the things get highlighted because, yeah, because they have won two of the last three premierships and they're going yep. so well. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's tall poppy syndrome, but I do think it's a, a little bit more highlighted because they're a successful team. Fair enough. Good debate. Anything else to add before we move on, gents? Well, it's just kind of like... Like you say, it, it might not be tall poppy syndrome, but we do want to sort of say, we always want to say, oh, is this going to be the end? Is this going to be the end? Well, look at last year. I mean, when, when they got halfway through the year and everyone was was writing them off, I know a little bit different, more so on the on-field stuff, but they just came storming back and won it. And again, they're the favourite to do it again this year. If they win three out of four flags and become one of the, you know, have their own sort of dynasty, if you like, of another team that's managed to win three premierships in a, in a small window... No one's going to care whether the culture was good or bad. No one's going to talk about yeah. the culture. I, oh, I disagree with that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we are in disagreement. Agreement of disagreement. Agree or not, Matt? <laughs> I was going to say, if if you win a premiership, people forget about pretty much what's happened through the year. Um, so, um, yeah, much like you know, so we're going back a few years now. But West Coast, when they had all their drug issues, the the fact that they won. During that season, people, you know, were happy to sort of gloss over it. And it wasn't, you know, until sort of 10, 15 years later that people really sort of understood the depth of um, what happened there. And that's obviously completely different to what's happening at Richmond. It's not as serious. But, yeah, I think winning papers over a lot of cracks. And if, if Richmond win again, I think people will, you know, say that that mythical word culture is still working for them. Yeah. Good debate, as I said. Uh, Jake, I'm going to stick with you because you're on fire at the moment. Um, what do you make of Clarko's comments after the Crows beat the Hawks where he basically came out and said the draft is compromised, the academies are benefiting too few clubs compared to the, the, the rest. Um, it's so hard to rebuild through the draft. Was it convenient timing? Is, is Clarko trying to enact some more change like he's tried to do at times this season? I mean, well, where do you... It's typical Alistair Clarkson. I mean, he, if the man is a sook. The man <laughs> is a sore loser and a sook. And that's what he's doing again. He's had, he's, you know, he's had another bad loss and he's complaining about taking the team forward. I've got, all I can say is every club's in the same boat and you're all going to have to do it. And there's nothing else that can you, can be said about that. He's just having a whinge for the sake of having a whinge. And the AFL shouldn't just change the rules to suit him. He's, he seems to be able to make all these comments and the AFL scrambles because they don't want to upset Alastair Clarkson. And if other coaches said that sort of stuff, they'd be getting fines. They can't, can't say that. You can't say that. So he gets away with a lot of stuff. He's having a sook, as he generally does after a loss, which has happened a lot this year. And I think he's just got to get on with it. Or, or, or leave. As a do we think that he looks unhappy at the moment? As a coach, do you <laughs> no, think? Of he's... course he's unhappy because he doesn't have the team that he once had. Like, yeah. it's, it's much harder to win a premiership when you don't have 10 A-grade players in your team. Like, and he's also made his bed, right? So they've ignored the draft for a long time. They've brought in you know, mid-career players and late-career players. And yeah. eventually the bubble's going to break. And you know, he just, he's just got to deal with the... the 
you know, the fallout of the decisions they've made down the track. Or well, what, the past, here's the thing that I'm, I'm thinking. As a, as a Carlton supporter, obviously, they've gone to the draft a lot over the last 10 years. Uh, and, and now that Clarkson has sort of said that Hawthorne's going to embrace the draft, he just plants this little nugget that the draft is compromised and it's so hard to build out of it when he's been topping up because he can uh, with free agency picks because it's an attractive club to be at and whatnot. But it's just sort of convenient timing that Hawthorne's about to have this sort of down period. There have been other clubs that have struggled through it and he's trying to plant this seed that, that the draft isn't all it's cracked up to be, hoping for change. I think it's just, I think it's... <laughs> it's poor form. It, it's not right. And, and as you say... Every club's got to go through this. Every club is in the same boat. Like, I don't know what he expects now that Hawthorne... So Hawthorne's had all these great years. The players leave. It's a different team and they fall away. And now what what does he want? They change up the way the draft works so it benefits them so they are at the bottom for a shorter period of time. Mm. No, it doesn't work like that. He also just loves deflecting after a loss, I think. I think he's, as Jake said, I think he's a pretty sore loser. Maybe he's not practised enough at... Um, actually losing any games but yeah the fact that as soon as he has a a really bad loss he seems to come out with something whether it be holding the ball um, whether it be the fact that you know uh, Sydney parked the bus against us or you know he he always seems to have something and open his you know open his mouth and we suddenly we're talking about the draft as opposed to you know whether he's a good coach anymore or whether Hawthorne you know are set for a period down the bottom so yeah I think he's trying to deflect Good thing uh, Gil's still in quarantine. Can't have coffee with him for a couple of weeks. Uh, to see if nothing out. All right, let's move on. Uh, justified hype or hyperbole, my favourite segment. I'll say a statement to you fellas and you'll tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Uh, oh, Neil, I'll throw this one to you. The Bombers have been the most disappointing team of the last 10 years. And yes, I'm asking you, a Melbourne supporter. Oh, I think it's either Essendon or Melbourne, isn't it? Um, can they yeah. can they both be on the on the on the gold medal podium if if you want to call it that? I think I think S- Melbourne have been really poor for so long, but at least they had 2018 where they won finals. But Bombers fans must be so that 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 Twitter account that posts the days since Essendon won a final and it's up into you know tens of thousands of days or whatever it is. Only six thousand by the time round one rolls around. <laughs> I tell you what, though, based on expectation and what everyone thought, you could just about put the Giants in there. Yeah. Oh, the five flags in 10 years. Five flags in 10 years. They should have won five by now. (laughs) (laughs) At least they're playing finals most years and winning them. But no, getting back to your question, I think that's justified. They'd they'd have to be equal to or the number one most disappointed team of the last decade, I think. Yeah. Any any opposing thoughts? No, No, not really. Uh, Jake? The Eagles would prefer the grand final to be anywhere but Queensland. I think that's pretty obvious. I think uh, they're struggling there. They can't win there. They're not playing well. And yeah, what about, but, what about the phrase anywhere, anytime? Well, that's, that's crap. It's not true. <laughs> like, <laughs> clearly not. Otherwise, they would be, they would be winning. No, I think, it's, I think that's, uh, that's justified. They would take a grand final at any ground in the country. Um, ahead of uh, the two in Queensland. Do you reckon they'll take the Queens, Queenstown Oval in, in northern Tasmania with the gravel surface? I reckon they might give I it a go. No, there's short kicks and marks. They can play an uncontested brand of footy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah certainly a mark chip sort of you know, game plan out there, I would have thought. Very good. And uh, last question before we wrap up for the day. Footy Fest should make an appearance next year and beyond. Christian, I'll throw that to you. 
Um, I, I, again, I know it's been a different season, different year for everything. I don't mind it in terms of, you know, if we wanted to have it at the start of the season or middle of the season or end of the season um, as sort of, you know, a, a sort of, um, what do you call it, promotion or something. But, yeah, it's probably a bit bit too much to have. Uh, we've had about seven or eight rounds merged into, you know, into about three or four weeks if you add it all up. So I think it's been a bit, a bit full on this year because we've needed it. But I, mm. I don't mind, you know, if... If they said next year, rounds four to seven, we're going to be played within two weeks or three weeks. Something different. Um, you know, I don't, again, we, I think we asked pre-pod and I don't know if anyone knew the answer, what the, what the ratings have been like. Um, but it is, it's been, and putting my, you know, working in the industry has been very, very hard where you, mm. you just lose track of what round are we up to? How many teams, how many games have each team played? Are we in round 15 or 16? And, a team can have a buy, but not really miss a week of football, and it's it's all quite confusing. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, midweek games and loading up. I think if we have it a little bit next year, I would like to see it. But yeah, not too much. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I like it. I I, I kind of want it to stay um, like a two week thing in the middle of the the um, the season. Two and a half two and a half weeks, maybe you play three games or something like that. Whatever it is, and I think it just adds a little bit more in terms of. Um, how you manage your squad and your, your your team for the season. It's kind of a bit more like, you know, sort of what we see in international football, soccer, where, you know, you're playing in different tournaments and competitions and you kind of got to rest players, manage players. And I'm obviously you're only playing in one competition, but the, the extra games make it. So you do have to manage your side. Um, yeah, I, I don't mind. I think this year's looked a little bit, it's probably, we're probably getting sick of it because we've, we're now in the second second wave of it so um yeah we're last six months or so so yeah we're kind of just getting over the football on every night it's so confusing to keep up you know with where we're at exactly as you said off the top what we don't even know what round we're at anymore but i don't mind having it for a for a small period uh, mm. each year yeah fair enough neil any last thoughts before we wrap yeah up? I... <laughs> I'm 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 like Jake and Christian and, and probably most most people that work in the industry and probably fans. I'm a bit overwhelmed and you know all the games merging into another. Um, but I think if we catch our breath at the end of the year and hopefully things are returning to somewhat um, normality next season. But yeah, I don't mind the idea of celebrating something like using it. You know whether you play, you know there's a Doug Nichols round as a like a footy fest for maybe two rounds. You know or some I don't know. Use it to promote the game um, and as a special sort of once-off each year and that, and that might work. Fair enough. I've got two words for you all. School holidays. Do that's when you do it. Uh, big bash style when kids can get to games on a Tuesday and a Wednesday over the two weeks, three, three rounds. Bang, there you go. Um, all right, let's wrap it up. Make sure you get your tips in on the Footy Tips app or footytips.com.au. We are in the middle of Footy Fest 2.0, if you didn't know. Uh, so make sure you get your tips in and you're not missing out on some valuable points uh, heading into the last couple of rounds. Guys, thanks for joining us again, and we will speak to you all in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.